Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here and we have Dr. Lauren Harvey on the phone with us. And Lauren is at, I guess I should have asked this before we started, Pontotoc. Is that right, Lauren? Yeah, that's correct. The Pontotoc Research Station. Okay. Lauren is our new sweet potato specialist. That's a new crop for Tom and I. That's not one that we spent a lot of time working with. So look forward to visiting with Lauren about that. That was pretty stupid. Anyway. No, that's perfect. You've got to leave those types of things in there, Jason. Don't don't be so concerned about. So for like the fiftieth time, <laughs> the producer works for cheap. It's really funny to continue and, to circle back to those yeah. statements because because it's got some people hook, line, and sinker. And then of course I wanted to work in there that you know at the podcast store that's in the BF Smith building in Stoneville, you would you would end up with somebody in there who would want to buy some things for Christmas and there isn't a podcast store. Yeah, I think you may think more highly of yourself than you should. I don't know <laughs> that anybody's all that interested in... Uh, no, they're not, but it, it's good to catch one. <laughs> all right, now Lauren thinks we're both complete morons. That's all right. Lauren, we've, we've been... Doing these pretty consistently this year, had a lot of different things, current topics throughout the growing season. You know, we've talked about budgets and we've talked about variety trials here lately, fall burn down herbicides. One thing that we always like to do, ask somebody kind of a off the wall question just to get going. You and I have never actually met in person, so I didn't want you to think, I didn't want to give you too much insight into my possibly twisted sense of humor uh, so i'm gonna let you down easy with the crazy question what is one thing that you absolutely will not eat capers capers okay <laughs> i don't i don't like capers for some reason okay that's not I can't that, explain why that's not a hard but, one to avoid tom you got you got one on top of your head really i don't i probably just the whole liver thing i never got into that my mother's a big liver eater not tom the capers are funny. Our son Ward will sit there and eat them like popman in his mouth. He loves them. And and I put them in things like tuna fish. But pears. You don't know, like pears? Absolutely not. Pears? Pears. Can't stand them. Is that a consistency thing or a flavor or both? Whatever that gritty. That's uh, consistency. Yeah, that's a. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's a word for that that they teach you in biology. I don't remember what it is, but there's a word for it. Maybe you just haven't had some of the really good pears. Maybe not, but my grandmother had a pear tree when I was little, and so she would always have pears, you know, whenever, whatever season pears are ripe in. Like, ugh. And they say a ripe pear is mushy, and that's even worse. I don't even like the hard ones that I guess are green, but, yeah, no, that gritty, it's like eating sand, huh. sweet sand. Yeah. Well, now I have a new challenge. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, so uh, a dinner of capers, livers, and pears. Probably not going to be hard to avoid those three at any one time. Well, we would each eat something different from that. <laughs> a festive plate. Good color. So Lauren reached out to us last week and was asking some questions about the Mississippi Crops blog and the podcast. And so we thought, well, the best way to tell him what the podcast is about is to put him on the podcast. Uh, we invited him this morning. And I guess, first of all, Lauren, tell folks who you are and where you came from and 
how you got to Mississippi State? So I actually started off in Iowa. I'm from Iowa originally, and I did my undergraduate degree at Iowa State University. And from there, transferred across the country to Texas, uh, where I did my master's and PhD at Texas A&M. I did my master's in cotton breeding, and I did my PhD in sorghum breeding. So most of my background is in plant breeding and genetics. And I landed at Mississippi State. My wife is also a, a faculty member at Mississippi State. So she got her job here first. And we ended up in North Mississippi. And I, I guess I had always thought that I would end up being a corn breeder somewhere in the Midwest. So when we landed in North Mississippi, it's not really the central hub for, for corn breeding. <laughs> That's a fact. So I, I sat down and was like, well, what am, what am I going to do and still be able to utilize my background and education that I spent so long getting? And it just so happens that there is a, uh, there, there is a sweet potato uh, research station up in North Mississippi. And breeding is something that has not occurred in Mississippi for well over 20 years. So I reached out to Mississippi State and reached out to some local growers and pretty much said, hey, how can you guys, how can I utilize my skills and, and help the industry in any way, shape, or form? Really, I'll do anything. I ended up starting as a postdoc uh, under the guidance of Dr. Shankle, who was located here at the Pontotoc Station. And that allowed me the opportunity to get fully immersed in everything sweet potato kind of got a crash course that first year and then i was able to transition from that postdoc into the uh, sweet potato specialist how many years did you work for mark i worked with mark one year no almost almost a year okay and he's kind of jack of all trades related to sweet potatoes right i mean he does a little bit of everything yeah yeah his his uh, formal training is in weed science but I mean, he does, he does a little bit of everything, but, but I think that, I think he was kind of happy to not let necessarily offload the sweet potato stuff, but, but now he gets to focus more on what his training was, which is weed science. Well, and I think the sweet potato farmers in this state have needed some good help and guidance for, you know, many years. I mean, that's a, I think that's a crop that's not necessarily been overly focused on, although I, I know we had a sweet potato specialist prior to you. But I, mm -hmm. I think that's important for farmers to see the visibility and the fact that the university is invested in that type of situation and, and help guide them through what they need. And what, then what do you see is really your main areas of focus within sweet potato production? Well, so I, I just want to jump back real quick. I totally agree with you that I think it's really important that the university be active in the sweet potato industry because the sweet potato industry is, you know, there's so much money pumped into corn and soybeans and rice and some of those other crops. There really is not that private industry presence in sweet potatoes. So uh, universities are really the only source of research R&D, you know, research and development for sweet potatoes. So it's really important that, uh, you know, Mississippi State plays an active role in the sweet potato industry. As to where I see my focus as being, I really would like to focus on what what my formal training is, which is plant breeding. The majority of growers uh, in the state of Mississippi grow a variety called Beauregard. And Beauregard was released in 1987 at LSU. And so there, there, is, there is quite, I mean, it's, it's had quite a long journey. And it's had a really good run, and it still is having a great run. It still is the majority variety that is produced in the state. But I, I think that growers are ready to change things up a little bit, and they, they, they would like to see what else 
is available, what else can be produced. And so I, I really would like to focus a lot of my efforts on plant breeding and variety development. But there are also some other really important aspects um, going on in the sweet potato industry, such as virus testing. Viruses are a really big threat to sweet potato yield. Um, there's six main ones that we look for, and those can re- drop your yields by up to you know, 40 to 60% if, if all six are present. And so our goal at the Pontoc Station, at least for now, one of our big focuses is pumping out virus-tested material to ensure that people are starting with, like a, with, a, with a fresh, clean virus, free material, you know, every so often. So that way they're not accumulating that massive viral load, which will reduce their yield. And are the bulk of those viruses, are they insect vectored or are some of those stored then in what essentially becomes sweet potato seed for production for the subsequent season? They are almost all insect vectored, but I mean, they can, because sweet potato is clonally produced, once you get it, you know, you, you have it and you just keep on accumulating more of the viruses. Lauren, you mentioned Beauregard. And I went to LSU. I remember, you know, people talking about Beauregard when I was in uh, in the agronomy department down there years ago. But with in the sweet potato industry, are there varieties that are produced and marketed because of a, a certain, whether cooking characteristic or flavor characteristic? And I'm comparing it with rice. You know, there are a few rice varieties that are packaged products and so they may not be the best yielder or they may not have the best this or that trait but there's a specific market for them and so they they are still grown in some volume so kind of relate that to sweet potato production if you can absolutely so there there are um there are kind of like two mindsets you either have sweet potatoes for processing whether that's french fries chips canned sweet potatoes and those you're looking for consistency of size, consistency of, of like cooking uh, consistency. But the, the probably the biggest market segment is the fresh market. And so it's not necessarily flavors that you're looking for, but you're looking for different colors. And so because because when you're at the grocery store, you want to be able to see something, have it catch your eye and say, man, that looks really interesting. I want to I want to put that I want to serve that. And so there are different varieties that are grown, such as Mirasaki, which is instead of like a, a rose-colored skin and an orange, a bright orange flush, Mirasaki is a, almost a, a, a dark red, almost a purple skin with a white flush. And then there are some Okinawan varieties that are purple skin and bright, vibrant purple flush. So, so there are definitely some other specialty, more niche market um, varieties available and produced in the state, but the vast majority, 90% of the acres in Mississippi are Beauregard or, or something similar where it's a, a rose-colored flesh and a bright orange, uh, sorry, a rose-colored skin and a bright orange flesh. All right, I'm going to show my own ignorance again. See, you mentioned a couple of those other varieties, and they seem to have a distinctly Japanese name. So are sweet potatoes a big deal in Japan? Sweet potatoes are a really big deal in Japan, sweet potatoes are also a really big deal in Africa. Africa has got a really, really big sweet potato present, but a lot of them are local varieties. Um, there, you, you, we are seeing more, I guess, like modern conventional, I'll say like U.S. produced conventional varieties being grown in Africa. But Africa it, it appears to be a lot more local 
um, I would almost call them like heirloom varieties. But sweet potatoes are also increasing, like the consumption of sweet potatoes is also increasing rapidly in Europe as well. So, I mean, they're, they're all over. A lot of what we are getting for like starting germplasm is from South America, Africa, some from Japan. Hawaii has a, a, a really rich culture surrounding sweet potatoes. All right, Lauren. So, what about what about the history of sweet potato production, or even just you know current information regarding sweet potato production across the state of Mississippi? What what are some of those main key areas within the state where we are producing sweet potatoes? I would say that probably eighty five to ninety percent of all the sweet potatoes produced in the state commercially are produced within fifty miles of Vardaman, Mississippi. There are just a very large concentration of growers around Vardaman. You seriously, you draw a fifty-mile circle around Vardaman. Ninety percent of all the acreage, all the sweet potatoes produced in the state, which is why the Pontotoc Research Station is is really a key location because of our proximity to you know that growing area. The state produces around the past years, but around thirty thousand acres, which comes to I want to say five hundred ninety million pounds of sweet potatoes produced annually in the state and uh, that's distributed across 75 ish farming operations make up those 30,000 acres Uh, the acreage has been slowly but steadily increasing in the state over the last five or so years and I, I think it's a really exciting future for the industry because it appears to be thriving we do have minimal production in the delta they do grow some typically around belzona and and you do end up yep. with some with some interesting crop rotational strategies there there's plenty of farmers that do a kind of a sweet potato cotton rotation uh, and then you know i've seen some of the other rotations in other parts of the state where they're doing sweet potato and soybean and sometimes sweet potato and corn i guess it just depends on what that farmer tends to do but are, are there are there better options for rotation or how many of those farmers are growing continuous sweet potatoes Honestly, I would think almost, as far as I'm aware, zero are growing continuous sweet potatoes. Usually, uh, people try to swap every two years. They'll do two years of sweet potatoes and then swap to something else. And that just helps alleviate some of the the viral load because sweet potatoes, there's not a lot of labeled chemicals for sweet potatoes. So you got to swap it to something else to make sure you can can wipe out whatever weed presence has developed there over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. There can't be a lot of herbicide input in sweet potatoes either and since you're so closely related to some of the morning glories i would see where Mm -hmm. morning glories would be a great reservoir for any of those uh viruses it is a really big issue um there's been some studies from other universities that said you know being very careful and selectively like walking through fields and pulling out morning glories which i understand is not it's not possible on a commercial scale but was able to reduce the the viral presence in those sweet potatoes by 80 percent so those morning glories are, are a really big reservoir, like you said, a reservoir for those viruses. Yeah, killing a morning glory out of a sweet potato is about like killing Johnson grass out of your grain sorghum. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a losing option yeah, at that point. Uh, they're just way too closely related. Where does Mississippi rank in the U.S. on sweet potato production? Uh, Mississippi is actually second for acreage um, behind North Carolina. However, in terms of total yield, uh, we rank third, which and then in that case, it goes North Carolina, California, and then us. Um, and that's because California has a longer growing season without, you know, frost. And so they're able 
to get a little higher yield off the acres they do grow. I've always associated sweet potatoes with Louisiana or associated Louisiana with sweet potatoes. Where do they rank? That was the case in the past. There was a point in time um, where Louisiana actually grew slightly more acreage than Mississippi. But over the last 10 or so years, Louisiana's acreage has, has plummeted down to 10 or 15 percent what Mississippi's is right oh, now. Wow. Okay. So they have they've had just growers stop stop producing. Um, some of that could be because of some catastrophic weather events that Louisiana has been hammered with in the last couple of years. The Louisiana also, I, I believe, has a higher presence of sweet potato weevil in their state. That is probably what is attributed to the de- decline in acreages. You mentioned the packing or processing sweet potatoes and then the fresh market sweet potatoes. Do, do the sweet potatoes from Mississippi, do they tend to go one way or the other, or is it just a variety of different markets for them? Um, I would say the vast majority is fresh market stuff. Most of the growers are, you know, you have different grades of sweet potatoes. And so what you would find in the grocery store is like, is a number one. And, and that's the bread and butter of the sweet potato industry. Most of our growers in the state are making their money off of growing and selling number one. And that's a size designation that has been set by the USDA. Any other specific directions that you see your focus kind of going? And I, and I know that's a, that's a pretty open-ended, broad question there, but do you, do you see any additional inputs or needs within the sweet potato growing community? I think that one of the things that I'm seeing is because sweet potatoes is, does not have a lot of industry presence, there's, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, just stuff that I, I would think would be, oh, that's an easy question to ask and answer. Um, but it just hasn't been done because there's not, one, there's not that many people working in sweet potatoes. And two, there's not that much money available to fund sweet potato research. And so there's a lot of like basic foundational questions that, that I would like to look at and, and answer. And then on top of that, I want to make sure that my research program is addressing the need, the direct needs of the growers in our state. So I want it to be very applied, very grower input based. I want to be able to address the questions and the issues that they're encountering on a regular basis in their operation. So my research program is going to be a little fluid, you know, changing with the issues that they're encountering. Man, I think we all do that. Chase the needs. And I know my program has gone a bunch of different directions over the years, whether we were trying to kill ryegrass or trying to kill pigweeds or working on new technologies. We just kind of go and do the things that either we feel are the most important for our local growers or that the growers and the consultants tell us are the most important things that, that they need answers for. So I commend you for your strategy there. I think that's that'll serve you well. Oh yeah, I was I was just gonna say boots boots on the ground is important. More more people Absolutely. to cover more acres to look at more of those concerns because at, at the end of the day that the farmers are the ones that really see a lot of those problems before they bring them to us because they've they've got firsthand knowledge and see that on their own farm and being able to discuss that with somebody within their specific commodity is important. And then having somebody who's willing to help and actually consider and conduct an applied research program from those concerns is, is super important. I mean, that's, that's what the university system and unbiased research really needs to continue to maintain as its main platform moving forward. 
Absolutely. And I, I work really closely and because there are sweet potatoes grown across the state, both large scale and even, you know, garden level uh, production. I work really closely with a lot of extension agents answering questions. And, and that helps me understand the issues that are going on that people are encountering um, and kind of get a heads up before something could rear its ugly head for the industry. You know, something really threatening. My, you, you mentioned boots on the ground, but my, my position is actually 75% extension. And so a lot of what I've been doing lately is just going out and, and meeting growers and developing those relationships and that connection because, you know, you're not going to be ever be made aware of those issues that people are encountering if you're not, you know, visiting them, if you're not somebody that they know that you'll pick up the phone and, and answer them, whoever it is. Well, man, that's awesome, Lauren. I've I enjoyed visiting with you, man. Look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. And, you know, I think there's some young guys around that could probably get you in touch with that might be interested in working with that could probably contribute a lot to what you're doing. I know Justin McCoy, you probably met Justin at Verona. Mm -hmm. He's a real energetic guy, very intelligent. And then we got a a couple guys down here as well that, that may have some interest in delving off into sweet potatoes. So if we can help you out there, please let us know. I know I learned a lot. I, I mean, I confess, man, I knew next to nothing about sweet potatoes. So I certainly appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the industry is really exciting because there's so many directions you can go with it. And I look forward to the opportunity to collaborate with a wide range of people and address some of these key issues that are presenting themselves to the industry. Well, it certainly sounds like you got a good start on things and definitely a good plan for the future. And that's, that's really important, I think, for the farmers of Mississippi, because I think their vested interests are what we should be focused on. And that's, you know, we're glad we had you this morning. Really appreciate the time you took to sit down and talk with us. Uh, if you need us for anything, you know, feel free to get in touch with us. And I got to apologize. I didn't respond to your email yet about the blog, but I can, I can probably shoot you some comments on that because that's a great platform to start getting some information out to farmers. It's easily accessible and super simple to basically put something on there. It goes directly to Twitter and Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. And then people can really highlight on that, follow that information on the blog and, and then be able to get in touch with you. And, and with that, with that said, do you have any contact information that you want to share on the podcast here so that people can get in touch with you? But people can reach me uh, via email at lh1853 at msstate.edu. Uh, I'm pretty, pretty responsive, pretty quick to respond from to emails. Perfect. Well, and as always, we appreciate the listeners. You know, the comments are great, either good, bad, or negative. Keep them coming. That's pretty important. And uh, as always, we're pretty easy and accessible to get in touch with. Google, DuckDuckGo, track us down some way. Uh, find us on the Crop Situation blog. Feel free to call us if you need any one-on-one help or support. That's what we're here for. Thanks, Lauren. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.